an essential part of any gamer's loadout. It's this game where, with me, Ashley, and him, Chris. Wrong way around. Me, Chris, and him, Ashley. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe I've not done that before. That was a genuine error, because I was... Did you, did yeah. you actually do that by accident? Yeah. Wow, okay, cool. I thought you. I thought it was a funny bit. No, it wasn't a funny bit. It was I got confused because I was looking at your reaction and inwardly laughing and uh, then messed my name up. So that's, that's nice one. Co- cool. What's your name? Just let's be clear. Crashly. <laughs> we can be if you want. Mel- mold. Like yeah. mold? <laughs> we can meld. What's it called? The uh, Dragon Ball Z thing. I don't I can't know. Remember. Well, like, when they, they become one person. Yeah. I, know that, I know that that's happened. A few- fusion. It's just called fusion. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah. 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 Should we do they put tr- their fingers together like this, and they become one person. So I think Goten and Trunks become Go. Listen to this. Go, go Trunks? Nah, it's not. Go Tank Trunken? I don't know what they come. They turn into. Should we do a fuse? Go then? Trunks. Go Trunks. Let's fuse. How do we Where do, do it? you want? What you touch the tips together? Eh? Okay. No. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. The, of the fingers, Chris. Oh, right. You two middle, you two, them ones, indexes. In, index, come on. You have to do a dance first. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm losing You don't want to do... No. Mm, right, okay. Um, I realised, listening back to an, an episode this week, uh, the Omicron episode, that we spent weeks and weeks, well, it seemed like weeks and weeks, talking about our meat feast, and then we did it, and then we just didn't talk about it again. So yeah, because we talk- you, you got sad in the aftermath. I didn't want to bring it up. I thought it'd be... <laughs> Traumatic. I get yeah. sad. I just got sick because I had too much. Actually vomited. Yeah, but you're talking about 24 hours later. You're saying that you vomited mm. from eating too much meat. I think you, you're a sap. <laughs> there was a moment. I I've not. I've told a few people this, and you obviously know. But there was. I, I'm not even joking, and I don't know if I should be ashamed of this. But there was a moment when we were eating that that my body refused to start to swallow. You know. For most people, most of the time, uh, this is pretty shameful, I think. For most people, most of the time, swallowing is a an automatic thing. Often, you don't yeah. have to think about. And I got to the point in this meal where swallowing was something that I actually had to affect. I had to, I had to actually carry out swallowing. And it was really quite concerning because I've never had to think about that before. And uh, and therefore doing it was very hard. And I had a mouthful of half chewed up meat. Um, yeah, that was the end of the meal. Thankfully, like I I I listened to my body. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, did you I finish got, that point or, or power through? But so yeah, it was the stuff. lamb. It was the lamb bit the lamb. of the meal. Yeah, the lamb was pretty good, wasn't it? When are we gonna, when are we doing this again? Oh, there's one in Birmingham. There's one in. Some other York. There's one in York. I know you've just been to York. Yeah, I walked past it on flashbacks. And we will do it again, just we need to leave some time. Well, I think we should go for lunch as well. I genuinely don't think the extra money is worth the money. Yeah, I think you're probably because right. All of the stars of the show, if you name any meat, what was the best meat? Pork. Pork and honey. The pork. Pork's on mm. the lunch menu. There you go. Go lunch. What what's the second best meat? Uh it was probably the lamb. Right, lamb's on the on the lunch menu. Let's What's do the lunch. Third best meat. The best meat in general. No, on the menu. Uh, one of the multiple bits of beef or steak. Loads they're, of that on the lunch menu. They're, they're on the lunch menu. 
Yeah. The, the writing's so on the it's wall. Inter- it's interesting that the experience is sold on the beef, but actually the two, I agree, the top two meats are the pork and the lamb. Hmm. It was that, it was that yeah. honey just dripping off and then going out, oh. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> not going to there. I just thought, just in case anyone was uh, kind of uh, had noticed that we hadn't mentioned it, I just thought I'd uh, bring some closure on that. I just, I just didn't want to put you through it again because you you made out like it was the most harrowing experience of your life. It was the aftermath wasn't great, right? Okay, but you still uh, want to do it again? Yeah, rock and roll. Right. The problem with going to York, if we were to go to York, there's also that Chinese place that we went to called Panda Mummy. Oh, that was good. It's got those really amazing dishes. Yeah. Maybe we should do one for lunch, one for Oh, Gordon, Benny, we'd explode. We'd explode. Not if we do a walk in in the interim. We do a walk, right? Take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Right. I'm going to move into the the game bit now. What are people here (gasps) for? This week, we're playing this game where you run away from the screen, it's full of terribly named characters, and it's a time-traveling adventure. Silence. Nope. Always good on a podcast. Nope. It's Crash Bandicoot 3. Oh, right. Okay. Have we done any Crash Bandicoots? We haven't. I thought it was time to, to go big and then go home. Okay. Do I have to play the original for this, or can I play the remasters? Uh, well, that's your choice. Okay, it's probably sensible to do the original, isn't it? But Probably, yeah. They're pretty you, close, though, aren't they? You don't seem particularly enamoured with the idea of doing Crash Bandicoot. No, I, I've never really enjoyed Crash Bandicoot when, um, when they were around in their first flush. Well, and then going back to it, I've enjoyed it more, but not much. Well, it seems prudent to uh, admit at the top then that I'm very much the same. Okay, cool. So, Did you have them all? Because you got no. to Crash Bandicoot 3. We're doing Crash Bandicoot 3. No, I just had Crash 3. I didn't have... Well, one. Oh. All, all of them, actually. One, two, and three. They just seem to be one of those games, or one of those series of games, I should say, that everyone had at least one of them. So yeah. I, I played uh, the first two, definitely. And then the third one, like something... I obviously liked it to the extent I got it. I remember distinctly get. I distinctly remember getting it. It was um, obviously you, you didn't have a, a PlayStation One, but they lo- nope. lots of lots of um, shops like uh, Our Price and HMV and Virgin Mega Stores and all those. Uh, they they used to have like in the the platinum games. They used to have um, two for thirty pounds, which was a pretty good deal. And yeah. I bought I bought using some birthday money one year. I think it was maybe two thousand, maybe nineteen ninety nine. I bought um, Crash Bandicoot 3 and the Hercules game. What a combo for 30 quid. The Hercules game, I recall being good. Yeah, it was. It was great. But I remember uh, telling some people about it at school that I'd got it. And obviously, I was uh, sort of, you know, 14, 15 at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I played Hercules game. Should play in FIFA, mate. Should play in GTA. Yeah, what a sad shower of unimaginative. Yeah. Those people weren't my friends. I, it was it was a conversation I was having with some people. It was after an exam one day, and uh, yeah, I felt a bit silly. Anyway, yeah, the Hercules game, we will play at some point, because I remember it being pretty good. Yeah, and it looked real good as well. It was mm. one of those that w- the, the visuals probably, I would guess, but might be wrong, the visuals probably stand up to uh, to games today. Is that a major claim? It was all cartoony and, and very Disney. Like It, it, it was. It, it had been done in a style that feels like it could potentially be timeless 
Mm, time I remember it looking word. like the film. Yes. Yeah, there were definitely uh, elements that had um, animation or cells, at least, from the film. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've set it up for a major fall. Yeah. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Anyway, so I had Crash 3, and I I agree with you. I, I don't really know what, what possessed me to buy it. Like, I kind of... I must have enjoyed it at some level. And Crash Bandicoot 3... I liked it to a certain point, and there was a certain point where I gave up on it because I realised I wasn't enjoying it anymore, and it's probably one of the first times I had that realisation of, like, why am I doing this to myself? I can just play something else. Mm. And I'll, the, the the points that I reached where that happened, I will talk about a bit later on when I'm going through the gameplay, because it was a very distinct memory I have of just being, nope, no more. Do you do that now? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, I yes, absolutely. Yeah, last too short. Though it's sort of that. Yeah, I think even with games that I enjoy, sometimes I just reach a a point of satisfaction, Mm -hmm. saturation. I and maybe partly saturation, but certainly like I've there are games that I remember fondly that I never actually finished, and I feel like there's too much. Certainly in the aftermath of um, achievements and whatnot. There's far too much emphasis placed on that aspect, like completionism in games. And when I was a kid, there was no, there there wasn't really that. Like you you did, you played a game for fun. And oftentimes they were too hard for me to complete anyway. So it wasn't a case of I'm going to get to the end. Sometimes it was. Some games I was pushing to get to the end of it. Um, but for the most part, it was I play this because I like the the game part. Yeah, of it. what a novelty! Where I certainly remember when achievements started, um, my my mind shifted, and I started to look at achievements before I started a game properly, uh, and right. I I would use those to shape my oh, really experience and shape my journey through the game, and it it was it lasted for a number of years that, and it got to the point where I. My, I felt like if I wasn't driving at an achievement, I wasn't playing the game properly. Right. And I felt like I was wasting time because I wasn't chasing a goal. Um, and all of my gaming became very goal-orientated, um, certainly on the Xbox and the PlayStation 3. The Wii was there, and it affected even that because that obviously didn't have one of these systems mm-hmm. of achievements in that. But... Because of that, sometimes it would in, in it would invade those games and those games that don't have achievements. I'd be like, "Well, this is aimless. What am I doing?" And I'd get this anxious feeling of like, "I can't play this. I don't want to play this. I need yeah. a goal." Before that, making my own goals, I was fine. Well, it took a lot of mental adjustment to get out of that. Interest you brought up because that is is very much the mindset that that I got out of with this game because I, I could feel myself slipping into that. So we'll we'll park that for now and we'll bring it to what we talk about. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So Crash Bandicoot 3, you, did you play the, the first two? Or were you I've a bit like me where you've played subsequently, them? Yeah, I yeah. played them later. I've I've probably dipped in and out of them yeah. as a child going to people's houses because obviously it was it was pretty big. And everybody, as you said before in previous episodes, everybody seemed to have a PlayStation. And this game was fairly ubiquitous Mm -hmm. for those people. So, or this this franchise was. So it may well be this is the only time we do a Crash Bandicoot game, possibly, with this one. Well, I don't know, because I have played them. 
But I don't. They didn't make the. They didn't make a lasting impression on me in terms of. Well, we'll see what so comes out. It depends out on how. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So Crash Bandicoot, if anyone's not aware, is a, it's still a 3D platformer. I did find some people calling it a 2.5D platformer, which I think feels yeah. a little bit more accurate because to me, a 3D Honest. platformer would be traversing in Mario 64, would be Mario 64 traversing in all three planes, the, the um, X axis, the Y axis and the Z axis. Crash Bandicoot is just running away from the camera and going up and down left and right. And it's the depth. That's is going all away. of the axes. Yeah, you're right. It is. Maybe that's why it's, that's it why it's two point. Maybe that's why it's two point five D because it it's you've not got the full breadth of exploration you possibly. Yeah, you don't have a full range of motion. You channel down a a path. Uh, for all intents and purposes, you're moving left to right, but instead of moving left to mm. right, you're moving forward to back. Yes, or back to forward, whatever. You the fact that you're moving away from the camera instead of left of the camera to the right of the camera i don't think that qualifies it as a 3d game it's yeah, a 3d environment that you um that you navigate in a linear fashion yeah yeah uh, it's a playstation one game released late 1998 worldwide and the developer are uh, were are naughty dog who went on to well they, they i mean naughty dog are one of the um not the biggest in the world they're, they're very famous for the kind of the pedigree of games they've gone on to do after crash i think naughty dog you could legitimately say were well, they're one of the biggest in the world yeah yeah went on to make jack and daxter they then made uncharted made the last of us which are all games that yeah people go whoa whoa as if they're uh well, everyone turns into tom jones <laughs> oh, oh, I, lo- I love that you you've gone you've gone mm, yeah i'm definitely al pacino uh, a cool guy and i've gone huh, yeah he's definitely like mid-career tom jones <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, naughty dog founded 1984 I, I didn't really look into their history that much because uh no nah. uh, not really that interested uh the only kind of um anecdotes i could find that were of interest to me that were of relevance to crash bandicoot 3 were that the game came about, the first one came about, and also I didn't want to kind of talk about Crash 1 because we're not talking about Crash 1, we're talking about Crash 3. Crash 1 came about because Mark Cerny wanted a character-based platformer that would show off the PlayStation 1's 3D abilities. And interesting that that was the brief, and then they delivered Crash Bandicoot, which arguably doesn't do that. It does. It does do that. It it does show off the, the 3D capabilities of the new PlayStation system. I definitely didn't just crib that off Wikipedia as I read about Naughty Dog or anything. Right. It shows off the 3D-ness. Like, the the, the environments, I don't think, are bad. They It's just they you're not exploring them in a 3D good. way. In a 3D sense, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're just walking down the corridor. Yeah. And and interestingly, uh, during development, uh, I quite liked this. The, it, the game was uh, codenamed Sonic's Ass Game. Uh, because of that, because you're constantly looking at Crash Bandicoot's ass throughout the game. Ass. 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 Right. Okay. Sorry. Yep. Uh, the first game came out in 1996. The second game came out in 1997. This game came out in 1998. And then Crash Team Racing mm. came out in 1999, which is, uh, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And then after that, the, the license then went on to a different developer. So it's just these three games and Crash Team Racing were the only ones developed by Naughty Dog. Yeah, so I'm kind of looking forward to getting to Crash Team Racing because that is one game that I have fun Crash memories Team of. Racing it was pretty good. It's very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. So the sooner we can get there, the better, I guess. 
And we talked in episode 136 about Charles Zembilis, who was the person who designed both Spyro the Dragon and Crash Bandicoot. So that's pretty oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, okay. What a guy. Remember that. Okay, so I've just said about the them rattling through the games quite quickly. Development on this title began in January 1998, pretty much immediately after the second game released. The second game, if anyone's interested, is, is subtitled Cortex Strikes Back. It then meant they had from January to the game's release, they had roughly 10 and a half months to actually start the game, work on it, finish it, off it goes, job done, which isn't really that long, is it? No, but they did have basically all of the assets built and the it's game engine point. was there ready to go it's it's a similar case to um to majora's mask i guess like mm. it's still going to be a tight turnaround but they're not necessarily that they're, they're not having to do a major amount of story building um yeah. they they probably at this point as well having done two games in this franchise they're probably quite well honed in terms of being able to put together a decent level mm-hmm. you'd hope no that's a fair point so, actually. i haven't thought about that one thing they did yeah, do all for of this those game, things will which kind of negates that is they added in levels to, to um add variety to the gameplay so there are levels that rather than you playing as crash running away from the camera there are airplane se- uh, sections jet ski areas and motorcycle levels which um mm. gave the player some variety i remember those levels being pretty good to be fair they always go for the same things though don't they like what do you it, mean? It's always how do we spice up a platform game? How do we how do we intensify the experience of a platform game? Oh, let's put them in a vehicle. Mm. Let's put them in an aeroplane or a helicopter or it's just I'm not I don't I just yeah. I guess the motorcycle section arguably was a bit of a turn the water for crash team racing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, fine. maybe that's probably a bit of a stretch, possibly. Yeah. Also, Alex Kidd did it years before. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. The uh, the the plus the game uh, it has time travel elements and also world travel, which enabled art the artist to explore beyond the first two, which were both set on an island. So, while I guess the the, the assets there is then tarting them up to make them look a bit more interesting, there are levels mm. um, themed around. Uh, sort of Aladdin style, uh, Marrakesh, Morocco type, or Middle Eastern levels. Uh, there's medieval levels, Egyptian tombs. Uh, reading these off, this, this does, does sound like you've just said it's uh, platforming 101, isn't it? Egypt tombs, yeah. medieval levels. There's Great Wall of China. There are pirates were in the jet ski levels. The motorcycle levels were themed around 50s America. There are also levels that are set in day and then also at night as well to add a bit of variety. Great. Great. Uh, the plus of the game cool. is um, Akiwaku, who is the mask from the first couple of games. Uh, he he all along had an evil twin. They hate it when that happens. The evil no. twin of Akiwaku is called Uka Uka. Do you see what they did there? Yep. Yep. And he, Uka Uka, the evil twin, was freed by Dr. Neo Cortex, who teams with Dr. Nefarious Tropy, who has a time machine. And the three of them go back in time to collect gems and crystals that have been dotted throughout history, apparently. And Crash and his younger sister Coco, who was first seen in the second Crash Bandicoot game, set out to stop them. Now, I mentioned in the first, in, in my This Game Web blurb about the terribly named characters. So this is one thing I remember finding quite grating, even as a precocious 14-year-old, or especially as a precocious 14, 15-year-old, was the character. So Nefarious Tropy, because all the characters, yep. it was N something. So he was N- Entropy, 
entropy. Yeah, you, you get it. Yeah, yeah. And there was yeah, a- I did. When you said nefarious tropy, it did emphasize the fact that his his last name is Tropy. Mm. This is a bit tropy. Oh I, yeah, and I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I wonder right. whether they did that on purpose no it's, it's entropy it's just that pun because you had those, oh, I, those know, up- I know but there can be multi there could be dual meanings they might have pushed the boat out there's a there's a boss called dr n Jin. yeah who if i think has a rocket stick out of his face or something and yeah and uka uka aku aku just all, all these things i just nah. uh the game is set as a you've got this time machine that you're using to explore through time and the time machine is your hub world there are five chambers, each chamber having five portals to levels. Once you do each of those five levels within one of those chambers, it then unlocks a sixth portal, which is a boss. Once you've done that boss, it then opens up the next chamber for you to go through. So I think it's quite linear. I, I don't, I can't remember if the five chambers, all five levels were open from the off. I really can't remember, but it's the, the progression is quite linear going through. The goal of the game is to find the crystal hidden within each level. Usually the crystal is hidden at the end of the level, but sometimes there might be a challenge um, to get the crystal. And the challenges sometimes appear in the form of crates, which is one of my abiding memories of the game, is there just being crates all over the place. The crates were yeah. initially added to the first one to break up the areas because when they were developing the first one for the PlayStation 1, the developers realized that the game environments the island setting were quite empty because the playstation one couldn't process having crash on screen and a lot of enemies at the same time so Mm. to add a bit of variety than just running across to an enemy killing it run to the next one they decided to add the crates to introduce some platforming elements but also something to interact with as you go through so that's where that's why crates are in the game it's just to uh add some spice break things up well yeah. not even add some spice you said break it up break the yeah. levels up Great. there are, yep there are four so in total you've got your your sort of 25 levels and then your bosses add a few more on that as well so you're looking at in total 32 levels there are then 45 gems that gems are different to crystals gems are things that are hidden in the levels as well presumably it's 45 more than some of the levels have more than one gem in I'm boring myself reading these notes. I'm so sorry. You, <laughs> so, sometimes they're found in a secret area by breaking all the crates. Um, so basically, this is kind of going back to what I was saying about the point at which I got bored of the game, which you've got your core 32 levels. There are then some levels you get unlocked because of getting these 45 gems as well. And then one of the things they added into the game to add some replayability were relics, which would achieve through time trials. So what you have to do is you go through in the level again, and this time it's a time trial. So you've got to get to the end of the level in a in a certain time limit. And the crates are now replaced by, or maybe added to, I can't quite remember. There are now yellow crates, and the yellow crates will have one, two, or three on. And when you get a yellow crate that says two on, it will freeze the clock for two seconds. And the idea is to get through in as quick a time as possible by reducing time as much as possible by breaking these crates open to get to the end. Now, what I wanted Mm. to do is, uh, because by doing that in all the levels, you then unlock a a load of extra levels as well. Um, So for every five levels you beat the time trial, you unlock another level on top of that as well. So you end up getting quite a few. I did write the total down somewhere. I can't find it in my notes. But basically, um, too long didn't read. You end up getting a load of extra levels because of doing these time trials. So I was doing these time trials and because I wanted to find the secret levels and I found them quite tricky to, to do the time trials and I was really going for it, really going for it and it eventually realised 
I'm not actually enjoying this. What's the point? I don't, I'm not actually that bothered yeah. about, about getting these secret levels anyway, because Crash has, has been fine, but it's not something I'm like necessarily like, you know, champion the bits of play, not like Power Simulator. And <laughs> Are you enjoying that? Still. Oh yes. Every yeah. week, every waking moment it's it's on my mind. Anyway. And really? <laughs> it's um it just it, I just had this this sudden epiphany of just, you know, why? Why am I doing this? And I just stopped. So you said about achievements with me, and I guess this time trial element is almost like achievement in itself because it, it's something mm. that is deliberately quite difficult they've put into the game to uh, to add some longevity to it, and I just it just no. Yeah, I've never been into time trial stuff. I I've not enjoyed games on that level ever, really. Like, how fast can I do this or whatever? Um, with very minor odd exceptions, I guess uh, this wouldn't have been one of them. Platform games, I I like the idea of like perfecting a run. Mm-hmm. But that's usually something in the past. I wouldn't do it now, but in the past, if I was playing a game, it was because I was enjoying it. And as part of that process, I would learn the level so well that I'd be able to do it pretty mm-hmm. damn well. So like Super Mario Brothers 3, I spent so long playing that game that I could I could do the jumps. I I, I wasn't a speedrunner or anything, but in, in my infant, uh, you know, in my bedroom, I was the fastest. Um... <laughs> And I was, and I, 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 were, I am the kind of player that can't play Mario without holding down the speed yes, one. Yeah. So like, uh, when you first, it, it seems insane to me, but when I've introduced people to Mario, they always don't use the the run button. Yeah. Like it to me, it's the first thing that I do. I've always got my my thumb on that yeah, and then you, rock onto the. You end with those welts on your finger from where the the yeah. buttons are dug into you, to that bit of your thumb as you've been holding down the run button. Yeah, so if if Super Mario has had a time attack uh, option, I wouldn't have used it. But at the same time, I was getting very good at the stage at the levels, regardless, because I was just enjoying the game. To me, it kind of feels like an artificial way to to get people to engage with the game on that 100%. basis. If you if you don't have if your levels aren't engaging enough to make people want to play through over and over again. Then that would be a good way to try and to try and get them to do that. I I am also just going to caveat that with I know that there are people that absolutely adore Crash Bandicoot one, two, and three, and that that the time attack wouldn't be necessary for them to want to replay these these games ad infinitum the same way that I did Mario three. Yeah, but certainly for me it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been what I wanted to do. And my memory of the game is that up until that point, it had been like it had been fine. Like it, it wasn't something. I think I've said this already. It wasn't something I was necessarily, you know, championing the bits to play. I wasn't disliking it. It was just it was it was all right. And then just this is the point at which, yeah. like, no, nah, not not bothered. But that that's the problem, I think, with it. Like it it doesn't actually do anything to me. Doesn't actually do anything special at all. This and and the stages aren't enjoyable to navigate they're just not they're not explorative you don't yeah i know that there are branching paths you can go left and right and all that but they're not fun for that and i find in a similar way so i've i've been playing so that people don't people know that i'm not necessarily just well that's not the reason i've been playing bowser's fury 
this weekend. It's the second time I've I've dipped my toe in it. You you brought it around one time and I had a little go and then um my friends lent it me. Um and I I've had another little go and both times I've ended up coming away from it a bit bit nonplussed. That boy. To, even maybe to the point where actually I I'd, I'd say I don't like it. And one of the reasons that I don't like it is because I've played Mario Odyssey and the nav- the the movement system in Mario Odyssey is so fluid and, mm. and speedy, nippy, that going back to the navigation system here, the, the movement system here, makes Mario feel ploddy and um, awkward. Crash Bandicoot, to me, always felt that way. Um, Do you mean it always of- felt... The, the levels or him as a character, the control system. Him, him as a character and the levels. The levels, I think the 3D nature, actually, the thing that they were striving for, I feel like it made depth. Um, it, it made it more difficult. Well, I mean, this is, a, this is actually a fairly well-documented issue with 3D platforming games. Moving through uh, platforming games into the 3D realm meant that judging those distances Mm. became infinitely harder. And that's one of the reasons, certainly, that uh, Mario in Mario 64 had a little shadow underneath him so that you knew, actually, when I'm jumping, that's where I'm going to land right Mm. now. I can't remember if Crash Bandicoot has that. Crash has a shadow. It was was in the first Mm. two. It was just like a a dot underneath him. And in this one, it's changed Mm. to a shadow because Sony uh, of America... Um, by the company name is uh, they they said no wanted to be actual shadow rather than just dots because it annoyed mm. them. I know Crash had that okay. little because he's 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 um, reminiscent almost of Taz with the the spin attacks that he does. And I think there is yeah. when you're doing a jump, you can do a spin attack in the air to give a bit of a length to the the distance of the jump. And I think that might right. save you bacon once or twice possibly. Yeah, well, I found I found that annoying anyway. The fact that you couldn't really judge the distances terribly well. And um, I feel like that's even worse moving down these corridor spaces. Um, And I also found him quite slow, quite plodding. And and there's no there's no dynamism really to his to his uh, movement. I I found it all very boring. Mm. I can't remember where we started at that point. I I I definitely think that I I I've meandered far away from it. It's uh, it's it's all part of the potty. Uh, it was uh, after the point of time trials and how I was turned off by them. Oh, okay. So there we go. Uh, yeah. Right, back on the game then. This bit's quite interesting. I thought uh, is the soundtrack was produced by Mutato Musica. Have you heard of Mutato Musica? Nope. So this is an American music company set up by the lead singer of Devo, Mark Mothersbaugh. Devo is in Whippet. You know, D- Devo, the, well, I, I, Whippet is the only song I know by Devo because there was a little bit in The Simpsons where Smithers was wearing the cowboy outfit and he had a licorice whip and he was singing about whip that whip. And oh, uh, me, me and a friend were, yeah, me and a friend were absolutely obsessed with that clip. Uh, it was absolutely hilarious. D- Devo, pretty good to be fair. Um, but anyway, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, leads from a Devo, he then set up this music company and they have done music for a massive variety of films, TV shows, and games. Crash Bandicoot, the Crash Bandicoot series, being one of the games, or one of the series of games they've done. The the other games they've done include uh, Sims 2 and the Jack and Daxter trilogy, which is what Northstock went on to do after Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. But some of the films and TV shows is, is a real variety. So some of my highlights are just, I've tried to get some breadth here as well. The Lords of Dogtown, The Life Aquatic, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 
The Lego Movie, Thor Ragnarok, Cocaine Bear. Uh, and then on TV, you've got Rugrats, Dawson's Creek, and Summer Camp Island, which is a cartoon that's currently on CBBC in this country, and it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, quite a wide range. And then they also do the music for, for Crash Bandicoot 3. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of range. There's cool. a lot of range. There's uh, probably well, a lot of people. While on the point about sound as well, uh, we talked in the Sparrow episode about Clancy Brown, uh, who provided the voices of, I think you said, all the dragons in Spyro 1. He voices N Cortex in this game as well. He's He's gone on to pop yeah. in lots of different films and TV shows. Um, the Japanese release of the game was one of the first games to support the Pocket Station. It had a mini game called Crash Anywhere, which was a Crash Bandicoot virtual pet with a few mini games. Uh, tied into it as well. Interesting in Japan, maybe because of the Pocket Station, who knows, but it was the first non-Japanese PlayStation 1 title to sell more than 1 million copies in Japan. Mm. So that's that's a, a nice accolade. In terms of sales, yeah. actually, it's um, it's the 13th best-selling PlayStation 1 game, selling nearly 6 million copies in total to date, and it outsold both the first and the second games. Um, there is also, tucked into the game, there is a demo for the first Spyro game, which is accessible via a cheat code on the title screen. But we talked in the Spyro episode 136 about this kind of like friendly rivalry that the, the two characters had, the two IPs had. So um, rivalry is maybe not the right, the right word. There was a, a relationship between the two, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it, the game has got 91 on Metacritic, which uh, seems high. Uh, it's... <laughs> on Wikipedia, this is interesting. On Wikipedia, there is a, a a line where it says it's one of the best video games ever. So I thought, hmm, what quantifies that? So on Wikipedia, there is a list of the best games ever, and the qualifier for this is that there have to be at least six different publications that have named the game in their greatest of all time lists. And you go on Wikipedia, there's this massive list of all these games that are in at least six different publications, mm. best games of all time. And Crash Bandicoot 3 is one of them. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me, simply because in terms of cultural impact, it, Potentially, it made yeah. a splash. And it's it's definitely memorable for being one of the the same as Tomb Raider. It's it's memorable for being one of the big tent poles for the first place uh, for the PlayStation One. Yeah. Um, whether that qualifies it as one of the best games ever made, I'm dubious. That was my uh, concern as well. Uh, which seems like I would say a good juncture to go and uh, have a play. It's not even the best platform game. What on the PlayStation One or just in general? It, it, in the play, well, I don't even know to be honest. It, sorry, I know you just segued into us leaving. I have that boy. The PlayStation One had a number of platform games. The, pla- the, the mid nineties into the late nineties was both maybe the pinnacle of platform games but also the death knell of platform games because of this transition from 2d into 3d and the rise of the first person shooter as a as a um as a genre as a result um platforming games became old hat so the fact that crash bandicoot was still trying to fly that flag is maybe a a feather in its cap Mm. but i think it was more that it was a hangover from the previous generation the pre the the 16-bit era um, and the fact that platform games were popular then, and they were just a bit behind the curve in terms of embracing the new, um, the new fashions. But 
it never really uh, to me crash bandicoot doesn't even hold up against if you if you compare it to the best platform games out there it does not hold up even if you put the cutoff point say at 1999 everything prior to that crash bandicoot gets crash bandicoot does not get top billing <laughs> as far as i'm concerned mm. in in that list even and then if you take uh, sort of the the last 15 years and look at the platform games that have come out then that have actually interestingly or not uh, returned to 2D um, largely the best ones have returned to like a 2D um, presentation a 2D style um, it, it, it gets trounced Super Meat Boy I know that Super Meat Boy Forever hasn't necessarily and I haven't played it so I can't I can't speak authoritatively in any way but um Super Meat Boy Forever has been slightly maligned and is not necessarily brilliant. But Super Meat Boy, the original Super Meat Boy, was superb platforming. Just really astonishingly good. Rayman Legends or Rayman Mm. Origins, those two, superb platforming. And there's a reason that it, you know, is a 2D game. Having said that, Rayman 3, in fact, Rayman 2 and Rayman 3, Two of the best uh, PlayStation-based um, 3D platformers. I'm not sure if Rayman 2 came out on the PlayStation 1 or the PlayStation 2, but in terms of what PlayStation has to offer, Rayman 2 and Rayman 3 are two of the best PlayStation platformers out there. And Trounce walk all up and down Crash Bandicoot's face. Well, that seems like a good junction to try Crash Bandicoot 3. Yeah. Don't look now you're gonna crash. Remember that song by Primitives? No. I crash him title. So that's my lead in. Great. That's me, that's... me tunelessly singing along to that. So last week I came back into the second half by saying the name of the game. And you have just sung a song that isn't actually really related at all. It's called Crash. To the to what we're doing. I get it's, it shares a name. That's like saying, oh, that person's called Chris. Yeah. Let's do the podcast with them. Yeah. Do you know, like, when you see someone, like, or know someone that oh, has your name? Oh, your name's Chris. Oh, I know a Chris. Yeah. Do you not go, eh, no, I'd be do, do a little I'd right doing smile. doing all day, wouldn't I? Mm, no, Are you in the Chris Club? Yeah, exactly. Elite Club. The meeting of Chris. The Glee Club. Is the Chris Club the Glee Club? Is that? Can be. That's quite nice. Oftentimes. I like that. Anyway, Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped is not Pretty very poopy. good. Yeah, we, we brought that together well, didn't we? Yep. Didn't even say the same words. <laughs> but yeah, it's not, it's not, I don't like it. For the reasons that I thought I didn't like it, but for more reasons. And you came up, you, you observed, I think, quite a foundational, fundamental problem with the way it's designed. The, the game is structured around crates. Now, I, I mentioned crates in the first half, and I thought crates were just there as a uh, an obstacle or, or there as, as something to interact with in, in some way. And it turns out that crates are... you, you for, for each level you, you complete, you, you get a uh, the crystal for completing the level. 
There is then also a gem available for getting all the crates in the level. So the crates are actually pickups. Well, not pickups, you don't pick them up, but they're, they're the item you interact with in some way. So then what you end up doing is you end up playing the levels and just crate hunting. Now, there's two problems with that. Number one, it's a boring thing to do. Number two, as a pickup, could they not have come up with something a bit more interesting than crates? The only advantage I can see with them being crates is that you can use them as... Um, a stepping stone to get to, to crates higher up but then you then get situations quite frequently where the developers do the little sneaky tricks with the crates where you might need a certain crate to springboard up to an area to get to some more crates but if you obviously as, as a gamer you're sort of you the instant you see a crate you instantly get it because that's what the game is, is leading you to do so then you get situations where you get a crate and then you move it forward and then the earth's gone uh, you needed that, didn't you? you? You silly sausage. So then you've got to either complete the level knowing you're not going to get all the crates and you then got to do it again or just reset the level there and then. And for it to then devolve into find the crate is just not fun at all. And the... the that the, is not the fundamental foundational thing that I was thinking the, you the were. The fundamental fun point thing that I, blah, 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 that I pointed out was that when you complete a level... You, you come to the end and there's the the warp to take you back to the the, the hub area and there's a like a counter that will set tell you how many crates you've got so so there was one level I completed I got 46 out of 51 crates and it's just there floating there as a reminder it's it's almost like the game is saying yeah you didn't do very well with that did you and it's uh, rubbing yeah. your face in it and I, like I, I should be feeling after the level I should be feeling elation I've, I've completed the level but I, instead I'm getting a sense of uh, I didn't do very well then I've got to go back you've either. been told off for your homework not being good enough yeah I've got to either go back and do it straight away while I can still remember where the crates are roughly and hopefully pick up the ones that I, that I didn't get because that's another game element is that if 46 out of 51 there's five missing it's not a case of going back and just mopping up those five you've got to go back and get all those 46 again plus yeah. the five that, that you missed the first time round, and that let, then had situations where I was, you know, completing levels. And to use that example again, I might have collected forty nine this time. Oh, there's two I've missed, and I got to replay it a third time. A, a, a game shouldn't be built around that. It's it's not fun. Yeah, the the notion that after at the end of every level you get told off for not doing good enough is just uh, that that is the fundamental flaw in this whole endeavor i feel like and when you do compare it to we we mentioned or or certainly i mentioned in the first half a few platformers that i feel compare much better uh to than what i remember crash bandicoot being and what i've experienced of it today um and the first one is super mario brothers i actually mentioned super mario brothers 3 um and that's a really good example of how the game at the end of every stage rewards you it's not a major reward but you get to bash the the card at the end of each stage Mm. you go into this like black section and you bash the card and the card is spinning around like a um what do you call them like a handle lever pulley a fruit machine type thing yeah thank you it's it's going around like that and at the bottom of your screen you've got three positions and over the course of three stages you collect three cards if you collect three of the same card you then get a reward so the whole thing is built around you finish the stage here's a reward it's tiny but it matters it's a positive reinforcement of you've done a good job well done mario's good at doing that anyway in super mario world on the snares you have the celebration ticker Mm. tape thing that you have to 
get if you can get it at the top you get a life i think it is yeah if you get it at any other point you get some points towards this this larger total which if you score 100 you get a reward and you also get like this lovely music uh song which i still remember yeah like that um yeah um you get you get a reward. Super Mario Brothers learned that's that lesson very early on. You you sh- you finish something, you get a reward. This doesn't know that, and even when you compare it to other games. So I mentioned Rayman Origins and Rayman Legend. At the end of Rayman Origins, the end of Rayman Legend, every stage you were you you're collecting little purple lumps throughout the stage, and at the end of each of those stages you will tot up the amount of lums that you got. And, uh, and there is a graded reward system where if you get, say, 150 lums, you, you get an extra prize. If you get 250, you get two extra prizes. And if you get 350, you've really gone out there with your lum collecting, you get everything that can be offered by that uh, by that system. So there is a degree of, like, I've collected more, therefore I get more. But yeah. it's not saying it's not saying you've done a bad job. It's saying you've done a good job, you've done an even better job, and you've done an even better job. So it it's still there's a there's an element of well I could go back and do better here, but at the same time you're still being rewarded, and it's not it's not a case that in order to feel that things are done you have to go back because you have still. You have still been rewarded. Does that make sense? Yeah. Completely. So even even where they're using a, a system like this, where you where you you're collecting throughout, and that impacts the end of the stage, it's simply not embracing the notion of positive reinforcement. This is negative reinforcement. And then on top of that, as you've rightly pointed out, um, the stages that the way these collectibles, the way these crates are designed, the way they're laid out. They are purposefully designed to frustrate you collecting them all. So yeah. it's an artificial attempt. You were talking about um, time trials being an attempt to try and get people to replay their stage and have more replayability in the game. Well, this the, this notion of you haven't collected all of the crates and combined with the fact that they are making it difficult for you purposefully to know that this crate needs collecting and if you do this you can't collect the crate and so on those two things combined basically they they give every single stage in the game the potential to be a frustrating affair on the first go round and yep. and you have to do it again to get any kind of sense of well done mate you've done it, a good job it depends on your level of completion i suppose because you've got you, you do get the crystal for completing the level the the long thin purple one and that's if your idea of completing the game if you wanted to was just to get that in every level then that's that's kind of that's that done if you want Mm. to access the hidden levels that are given to you as a reward for completing so many of these levels by getting all the crates then that's kind of extra layer on top of that and then the time trials by getting the relics is an extra layer on top of that so the game is structured in a way to kind of um differentiate i suppose what you what you want out of it so this whole argument in the crates i'm just just sort of um not pre-facing post-facing i I guess with it is that that is all completely optional that's not part of the the main game 
but the game is structured in a way to kind of to to make it front and center and to make it part of the main game i can't believe that even when you come up with i think what what is probably the major flaw in the game you you've identified that you're still such a nice person looking so hard for a way to um balance this up that that you are willing to overlook what i think is a fairly I, I think it's the major flaw in the game. Oh, it is completely. Whether it's optional it is, it or is, not, it is awful. It is. It is egregious. But I'm just saying that it's it's optional. <laughs> whether it's optional or not, it's the way it's the presentation of it. Yeah, I, think. I agree with that. Yeah, yes, it's optional, but also it's rubbed in your face. You use those mm. words, rubbed in your face, and I think you're exactly right. It's rubbed in your face at the end of the stage. And and with the stages as well, another thing that we picked up on was that the stages are so like there's enemies there. But you mm. don't get a reward for defeating the enemies, so you end up just avoiding them. Or, or because what's it's the point in, in trying to reward. engage with them? Because yeah. they're, they're, they're they're there just to be interesting, like environmental hazards. There's no real requirement in a lot of cases to engage with the enemies. I no. I feel like in the first Crash Bandicoot, they did get in your way, and there was a benefit to taking them out. But here, certainly in the levels that I played. And I will, I will say, I didn't play lots and lots of levels because I was having to will myself to not give up playing. It was, we'll come to this, boring. I found it terrifically boring. One of the aspects that's boring is that the traversal of these stages is is um, fairly unchallenging, and you're walking through these stages. You've got these enemies that. Um, that are completely avoidable and you don't need to engage with them whatsoever they're not no. they're not really getting in your way they're not really coming at you in any way you don't get anything for for taking them on no so it, again if you think in mario at least at the very least you get some points and then go in, in an in arbitrary point score thing being galaxy they were then used as coins if you jumped on the enemies you got a coin yeah. which is then your health so that there was a relationship between you as the player I, and the enemies there in that i'm trying to be r- sort of i'm trying to be fair in okay. a in a, a way and sort of compare it to its contemporaries or prior games in so mario world we've talked we've touched on mario 3 we've touched on i think mario again is it's kind of a little bit unfair to compare things to mario because it got got so so many things right very early on one of the things that i really like about mario's engagement with the enemies the way that what compels you to engage with them sometimes is that they become you can weaponize them you know in terms of cooper shells you you can take an enemy defeat the enemy and then use the enemy to defeat more enemies so mm. it's its own reward um and it, there it's again it's a positive feedback loop uh taking out the enemies gives you a benefit of one kind or another and the that is what's completely lacking here for the most part the enemies that i encountered they weren't even obstacles because you could just go around them they they were there and you had to make a conscious decision to risk yourself yep. in taking them on. And most of the time, it was like, well, why? Yeah, completely. And then the the other thing that the game did was did these uh, w- wumper fruits were the sort of 
like red tomatoey apple type things that, that there's pickups and every hundred of those you get you get extra life so we both mm. realized we'd racked up we were sort of a, a few levels into the game and had got like 15 lives or so and mm. They, they just feel there because that's what a platform game does. You know, Sonic has yeah. his 100 rings to get an extra life, so therefore Crash has 100 Wampa Fruit to get an extra life. It just feels like they're there because that, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. yeah. They are. They're, I think they're there for, for that. And they're, they're, just, they're just not compelling. As a, You said no. about the crates. The crates and the apples are just not very, very compelling as, as pickups or collectibles or whatever. So... Yeah, the the levels themselves. Uh, so I, I said about we come back to this. Boredom was the major enemy in this game. I found pretty much every stage that I played a slog. It was it was boring, and it, not a slog because it was challenging or difficult. A slog because at every moment I was just having to go keep going. You're doing yeah. this for a reason. You, you, if if I wasn't doing this so i could talk about it i just stopped very very quickly because they are they're these very boring corridors and the game kind of looked nice in certain places but it wasn't enough to to like having a slightly sparkly uh graphical presentation is just not enough and has never been enough to overcome boring level design there was nothing really engaging or ca- captivating about about playing through those stages i played through the first 10 just to kind of see what what they were like mm. and there was there was a lot of variety there so i played through those the egyptian one i played through a motorcycle level there was an underwater one that was level two uh, there was a the arabian type level so I was, I was quite enjoying that variety and then it came to that the first level was the medieval one the, the very first level of the game and then level six was then another medieval level and it looked the same had the same enemies the only difference being there was an extra enemy introduced but there was a wizard that fired spells at you from a distance so essentially what i felt like i was doing was i was replaying the first level and yeah like what what's what's the point in that when again if we if we take super mario brothers or super mario world as as our touch point um there are stages on in both those levels that share thematic um presentation they share they share a theme, but each of those stages feels like its own stage, and the challenge is navigating those stages, and that's what is lacking here. Like you, you can you can take a, the same theme, and you can, um, you can you can present multiple stages with the same theme, and still have cap- captivating, engaging gameplay, and that's just not here this time. It, with with Crash Bandicoot three, and so you end up feeling like it's it's sort of leaning on its theme, and the themes don't hold up because the way that they presented them is boring. Yep. So yeah, I just don't know what the hook is really here. I I, think, ca- I, I can't understand what was compelling people to play it. I think there were there was some interesting that the gameplay had some variety so there was a level set on the great wall of china where you're running along the players coco and i quite like coco as a character because she wasn't a, a, a sexualized i'll use that word like it, it's she was just she was his, his little sister and she was there in dungarees and t-shirt and that was quite refreshing because i think it would have been easy for them to have done a character in in that sort of um 
in in that mold. Well, they did. They his yeah, girlfriend. You, yeah, you said that. I didn't realize that. So that made me sad. Yeah. Anyway, see so that. So you're playing as Coco, running along the Great Wall of China on the back of her pet tiger. tiger. And that was, that was you know, that was nice because that was different to uh, running along a corridor. Uh, but all you do is press, press left and right because the tiger's automatically running. So quickly, that novelty of doing something different was uh, extinguished. You yeah. then had that was I level weight. You then had a, Oh, God, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I agree uh, that Dixie was a, a good character. Coco. C- Coco, sorry. I was thinking of Dixie Kong from Dixie Donkey Kong, Kong Country, yeah. which is the exact same uh, yeah. idea and presentation of a character, like the the li- the little girl mm. in the trio of... in the gang, the little girl in the gang coat. That, and that's one thing that did strike me. Like, this just feels like a little bit of a... Like it's pulling quite hard from mm. from the Donkey Kong Country. Well, well, you said about that was after the first boss you unlocked a new move, which I quite liked again as a gameplay element. The fact that you're unlocking things mm. as you go through that but wasn't the, interesting. But the symbol you said was very very similar to the symbols used in some of the rare titles. Yeah, did you look it up? The it's the Rareware logo. Oh right. Oh okay. So if you what? No, go on, carry on. If you look up the Rareware logo, just just search yeah, Rareware logo, and in particular the 3D one, um, is very very similar to to that uh, little pickup that you get at the end of the boss stages. I think it was because the the, the move was a it was a jump and a smash. So I think the the symbol was to show that jumping up and smashing to the it's ground. It's not even is... the symbol; it was the presentation. I don't know. We, mm, I don't know what to like Google a... to get the. To get the um, no. to get that symbol, but it, it had it was a any it was a rectangular card sh- sort of uh, thing with a gold outline and a blue f- face with a uh, and then what you're describing the um, the the symbol to represent the move that you're getting that was gold on this blue face, but it just instantly when that dropped it instantly sort of made me think. That's a rareware logo. Mm. I I don't know why. Well, I do know why because it was designed to look like the rareware logo. It's it looks like the rareware logo. I don't know why why they have done that. I just don't get it. Maybe uh, it was an accident. Another thing we said that we liked was the was the uh, the time travel element. So you've got this, the the hub with the portals going off from them that you could choose which one to go into. And when you activated to switch this this like warpy portly thing opened up the way you jumped into it crash got sucked into and, and that style and the, the presentation of that which was essentially a level step menu it looked really nice yeah uh, but crash I himself found it, chris we, i found you found the, uh i found the icons yeah okay so i'm just going to send you an image of the icon a, a, a link to the icons oh i found a version of them anyway now you've got both the rareware logo and you've got the icons in front of you. Yeah, it's. I, I see what you mean. The, the the presentation of it. The. Yeah. It's just odd. Yes, it, it's, <laughs> it's just odd it's pulling on the same thread, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Crash as a character we talked about as well. The fact that he isn't really a character. He's very like. Empty. 
Yeah. The, the only thing is. he does is... The thing is, when, I'm when, not when, sure I'm convinced of this argument anyway, to, uh, if I'm honest. I, but you have to make it before I well, disagree, we, we, I suppose. We were talking about what is it about Crash that people have latched onto. Yeah, what because they like. there's, there's clearly something about this game series or this character, because this is the third one in the series, and there were many, many more after this, which we'll talk about in a bit. What is it about Crash? Like, he doesn't have, like, Sonic's attitude. He doesn't have Spyro's... You know, Spyro has a voice. Spyro talks. Crash doesn't talk in this at all. The, Spyro has this kind of, like, wide-eyed innocence, um, more, more so in the second and third games on the PlayStation 1, which were con- contemporaneous to this. Crash doesn't really have anything. The only thing he does is there's there's a when you can beat a level i think it was one of the crates uh challenges that i did do he does this little dance that involves some hip thrusting which i didn't really care for anyway um there was a bit of with the enemies we talked about the enemies already but there was one enemy for example in one of the medieval le- uh, levels that had a sword that swung around and i accidentally got got chopped by it and there was a bit where crash's torso top half he sort of did this folding his arms and looking down angrily at his bottom at his legs who were walking off it was a bit like looney tunes wiley mm. coyote type i quite liked that but that wasn't really necessarily yeah. crash as a character so no. our conversation was what is it about crash that people like and uh, long story short we don't know yeah no i i think i was thinking more broadly but we did touch on crash as a character in in that broader conversation so i, I think we we were talking about why did people glom onto mm. Crash Bandicoot of all of all the games that were available of all the platformers that were available why Crash and yeah I don't think that the character or even the characters were compelling and therefore that's not the that's not the reason as far as I can tell he's not in in, in particular Crash is not a strong character. Spyro definitely out of the two of them you've pointed out that there was this this relationship between the two of them and they were definitely two of the most consequential character platformers in the uh, on the PlayStation of the two of them Spyro had his head and shoulders in terms yeah. of characterfulness um Crash feels like an evolved Sonic to me Sonic was Sega's attempt to be super cool and to grab the attention away from the, you know, plump plumber Mario. Um, Crash Bandicoot just feels like they've taken Sonic and gone, how do we, how do we, how do we do our own version of Sonic? How do we make a, a cool character who isn't Sonic? And they seem to have gone down like a you you I think you mentioned Tasmania in the first half. Yeah. They seem to have gone down a slightly zany Looney Tunes style character presentation route where they make him do a silly dance after each stage and they have these moments of interaction with the with the enemies where in dying he does a funny thing. I don't incidentally I don't remember those things happening in the first game or the second game. Mm. But there was another example of that where um you get got by a frog in the fairy tale realm and the the frog will pin you down and kiss you and turn into a prince. Right. Um and then if you get got by the wizard, you get turned into a frog. So the implication there is that all of these frogs have been got by those wizards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I like that as an as, as an angle 
I liked it as a fun thing. There was in, if you remember in Arkham Asylum, one of the things that you could do is get killed by different main baddies and each baddie would have something to say, like yeah, a, a gloating a screen. Yeah, to, to say, oh yeah, I got you, Batman. Well, it's kind of like Harash Bandicoot's version of, of that. Like each enemy has its own um, defeat animation. That's probably the most fun thing about the game, truthfully. Mm. Well, whatever it was that people liked about Crash, uh, they he he uh, he didn't stop after after these ones. As I said in the first half, Naughty Dog just did these three and Crash Team Racing, and then we're out. Uh, the license was then given to Traveller's Tales. In they had it from two thousand one to two thousand and four. Vicarious Visions had it from two thousand two to two thousand and four. So they were doing games at the same time, and then they got it back in twenty seventeen. Radical Entertainment had the Crash license from 2005 to 2008, and then Toys for Bob had it in 2020. Mm-hmm. And between all those different companies having the license, 17 titles were produced between 2000 and 2010. Those 17 titles included platform, mostly platformers, let's be honest, but there were also a lot of sequels to Crash Team Racing, a lot more kart-based racing games. There were some party games, and then 2007, there was a game called Crash of the Titans, which aside great name crash the titans is billed as a platform beat-em-up so not really sure what happened with that um 2017 then so 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 it kind of 2008 came with with the licensing radical entertainment and um it just fizzled out that crash fell by the wayside completely and then fast forward to 2017 when vicarious visions got the license again and they created the uh, there's gonna be another pun the insane trilogy which Mm. was a a remaster of the first three titles which came to the playstation 4 switch xbox one and windows Uh, that's one you mentioned in the first half that you have that i didn't pick that up because of my lukewarm reaction to the the third one which has been uh which i've been reassured of tonight Uh, what do you remember of the insane trilogy if anything yeah i mean we we have actually touched on how and why i have that and it's because um, Hannah played Crash Bandicoot right. when she was younger. Um, I think it was her brothers or something. But she, I, I, I know that she has uh, memories, if not fond, um, of playing the game. And she had a particularly bad day at work one one time. So my uh, my attempt when I came in uh, the house to try and uh, to try and gear up was to go out and buy her a PlayStation controller um, of her own, uh, Crash Bandicoot, and also to get uh, Sonic Mania, which had just mm, uh, released yeah. that that week, because um, those were the games that she'd enjoyed playing when she was younger. Um, I think it worked, although I think we played Crash Bandicoot once that day, and Hannah's not picked it up again, right, which okay. maybe says something. Yeah, I've played it now more than she has, um, and that's somebody that has reasons to want to play it because she enjoyed it as a young, as a younger person. From from what I remember, it, it did quite well. It seemed to um, seemed to sell well, and it's one of those games that kind of pop, pops up uh, quite a lot on sales on different consoles and stuff. It Did sold it- well enough to allow them to make a Crash Bandicoot four. Absolutely, and yeah. Crash Bandicoot 4s didn't sell well enough for them to make a Crash Bandicoot 5, by all accounts. Nor did it sell well enough to allow anyone to have an attempt at a Spyro 
some revival. Way. Yeah, because that would annoyingly, have been, if yeah. they'd done it the other way around, that would have been preferred because mm. I think Spyro actually has the potential to do very well mm. in the modern gaming environment. Well, the the only thing I find out about the Ensign trilogy, uh, the, the Vicarious Visions, they added a few bits into it. So in Crash Bandicoot 3, there is a new level called Future Tense, uh, which is a, a nice little uh, reward for the fans, I suppose. Uh, yeah, mm. and, and as you just said, there was uh, the success of that trilogy led to 2019, uh, another remaster but of Crash Team Racing. There was a new title in 2020 by Toys for Bob, Crash 4, uh, It's About Time. Uh, in 2021, there was a mobile endless runner called... Uh, the, Sorry, a mobile endless runner that came out. And at the time of recording, we're in April 2023. In June 2023, Crash Team Rumble is scheduled for release, which is an online multiplayer strategic platformer, which will be four versus four gameplay and will also be cross-format. They've not really released many details about that. There is going to be, within the next few days, there is going to be some closed beta for for people who have registered for it to to go on and try that so uh right yeah who knows yeah i mean that's interesting in the sense that my last knowledge of toys for bob was that they along with vicarious visions were all but wound down and incorporated into the call of duty machine i I didn't jot down whether it's toys for bob making crash team rumble i didn't note the developer of that it apparently is yeah i've had a a very quick search and um it seems like they are involved at the very least i mean it, it it lists toys for bob as the developer so that's interesting um i wonder if vicarious visions have had a similar turn of of fortune because they very definitely very very publicly were were dragged into into the uh behemoth that is call of duty ba- basically turned into churning into call of duty factories right do, working on little bits for various different call of duty bits and bobs they seemingly had a hand in diablo 2 resurrected though so maybe not all as is it seemed when that happened um, the only things I could find out about Crash kind of over the last few years, uh, 2016, he appeared in Skylanders Imaginators as a character and a level. Yep. That was one of those um, when they when there was a brief hubbub around toys being used to introduce game elements. So uh, that was the Skylanders was the one that was kind of Spyro themed. And then he, him popping up in that was was a bit of novelty. I've said already about the relationship. And uh, I keep thinking about you saying about Spyro 4, like how, how good that would be. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted. Yeah. Um, Skylanders imaginators then led to um, a couple of years later there was a series i think on netflix called skylands academy and again crash bandicoot appeared in that in that he was voiced by reese darby okay aka steve bonnet from uh uh our flag means death uh, my new favorite show but many many other things besides uh such as flight of the concords and tara strong yeah. voiced coco bandicoot tara strong has voiced um loads and loads of characters in loads of those tv shows over the years uh, she was bubbles i think in powerpuff girls and she's been in rugrats and lo- loads and loads of animated series um there was a planned tv series uh based on crash bandicoot's antics for amazon tv i couldn't quite find out when that was in production but it got cancelled but there is some test footage online on reddit and elsewhere if you wanted to search out what that might have looked like. Ah. And the last fact is that um, 
The earliest bandicoot fossil found in Australia has been given the binomial name Crash Bandicoot. So he will now go down in history and infamy uh, via a nomenclature to a, a, a bandicoot fossil. So that Brilliant. must be that must be nice for him. Yeah, great. There we go. Crash three. Um, yeah, uh, not so good, but. We no. talked about Crash Team Racing. Um, I I do remember that very fondly. So uh, there might mm-hmm. there might be light at the end of the tunnel yet for Crash for us. Perhaps. Well, thank you very much for listening to uh, a bit of a, a ro- roasting of Crash Bandicoot as a character on the game. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. If so, come and join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, and review as well, please. Yes, please. Thank you for sticking to the end. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.